because you got to remember that nobody is going to be as enthusiastic about your brand and your product than your immediate executives here in the States or you're in the UK because they understand your product. They understand your brand. But what they don't understand is the Chinese culture, the Chinese employees, so on and so forth. But you still need that executive to be able to really bring that value into the Chinese employee to under, make them understand why is it important that your brand is there and what purpose you're really helping the Chinese market in a way. So again, it comes back to, is your brand actually bringing value into the market, number one? And second, do you have a competitive advantage? And can you communicate that not only to the consumer, but can you communicate that to the Chinese employees and how do you connect the value of those? Welcome to China Biz Connect, the podcast that explores the fast-changing landscape of business-to-business -business sales and marketing in China with your hosts, Tim Lindemann and Michael Bragan. Today, we'll be interviewing Stephen Yang, co-founder of Simplify Online Technology, a Toronto-based firm that specializes in helping foreign companies develop go-to-market strategies that meet the unique requirements of the China market. We have collaborated with Stephen for some time and find his insights to be both enlightening and easy to understand from the Western perspective. Stephen, it's great to have you on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you help foreign companies in China? Yeah, so I'll just give everyone a brief interview. But first, thanks, Mike, and thanks, Tim, for having me on the show. I really appreciate that. So what we do is we are sort of trying to create a platform. We're also an agency where we help foreign brands to go to China. And we really do two things. So for foreign brands that are really thinking of going to China but have not yet been to China, we take them go through a process where we call Simplify Ignite, which is really an educational process where we educate them on what it takes to go to China, the culture and the Chinese consumers, all the way to the legals and what it takes to set up a business and what it takes for the first year to two years of entering the market. The reason we do this is, you know, over the time where we talk to a lot of foreign brands, we realize, you know, if they have not been to China, they just don't realize how difficult it is. Now, I know a lot of companies say, well, you know, every market is difficult and that's true. And I have done many markets, you know, in globally, I really think China is relatively even more unique. And many companies that have been there kind of understands that it's almost a much more difficult process due to various of things. The second thing we do is we call it a simplified CMO, which is really the outsourced CMO part of your strategies and execution part in China. This is really more suited for companies that are either already in China or already somewhat established and they want to grow. The, the difference is we sort of act as your CMO outside of China and then we try to connect the best people in China. So the reason we do this is we understand that we're not the expert for everything and there's no way for us to be the expert for everything. But what we're good at is understanding the culture of both say the US, the Canada, the global market, and the culture of China, and we try to really bridge the gap. So in a nutshell, that's what we do. Yeah. Thank you for the great introduction, Stephen. We're really excited to have you on the show today, especially because of your understanding of both the Chinese and the foreign perspective. I was wondering if maybe you could tell a little bit of a personal introduction as well. Were you born in China and then moved to Canada? Yeah, so um, 
my story is I'm born in Shanghai. So I'm originally in Shanghai and I was born in 84. So to kind of give you guys perspective, I, I know everyone loves to go to China and now China is like an open game. But back in 84, it was really just after sort of the revolution of Mao Zedong, you know, the, the Communist Party. And a lot of Chinese families sort of suffer, right? Especially if you're wealthy. And my, my dad's family were very wealthy in China. So even then, I had the ability to kind of leave China. Now, it may sound like, why is it hard to leave China? But back in the 80s, it was very difficult. So this is why the travel and tourism is booming now. Because if you were an average family in China, to leave the country is very difficult thing. Not only that you don't have money, but to have the political connections or background to be able to leave was very difficult. So uh, my dad was able to leave China to go to Argentina in mid 80s. And then there was sort of an immigration process in Canada. And he just kind of came to Canada because it was open immigration. And in 93, that's when he kind of took my mom and myself here. So my mom was actually in Tokyo. I grew up with my grandparents. So I pretty much grew up in Canada. And for the first, when I get to the about 20s, I, I realized I really like tech startups. Okay, so I'm very much a geek and i very much into tech. And I really like startup and growing businesses. And I really like psychology. That's why I did a lot of marketing. So from tech startup, I learned a whole bunch of marketing, learning how to build businesses and grow businesses. And we really started sort of a digital firm helping business here locally, here in Canada and U.S. to grow through digital marketing. It wasn't until my friend that kind of said, hey, you know, have you had any interest in helping foreign brands to go to China? And I'm like, that sounds interesting. So let's do that. Right. <laughs> so at that point, I kind of just went on this journey and learning really in the market and try to figure out what it is that foreign brands are struggling with. Why is it so hard? And really getting to the point of nowadays, kind of understanding the struggle and understanding what it takes to get there. So. Yeah, so you mentioned how difficult it is for foreign companies to succeed in China. And I'm wondering what you think is the biggest challenge or some of the biggest challenges that foreign companies face when they enter the China market. Yeah, that's a good question because uh, that's a question that um, even I ask very often to my guests. And so honestly, I think there's multiple challenge, but because China is such a unique market. So if you think about every other global market versus China market, right? So one of the reason why a lot of foreign brands are interested in China is because it's such a growth market. There's a lot of wealth and there's growth that's coming out of it. And Chinese consumers are willing to buy products more than a lot of other markets. So it's a very attractive market, but at the same time, it is a very closed off market to the rest of the world, right? So almost nowhere else in the world where there's 1.3 billion consumers, plus there's a completely different ecosystem than, you know, say what we're used to here, such as Facebook, Instagram, and Google. So none of that exists. Plus there's a completely different political system. So regulation is different. And so that's what makes it so much more difficult to sort of get in there because it doesn't work the same way to even just jump into, say, if you want to expand into Japan or if you want to expand into India, it's a lot more easier because all you really need to do is localize 
and then goes through similar channels, right? You can go through Facebook nowadays, right? Before, maybe it's not, but nowadays you can go through that. In China, you can't do that. Not only you can do that, when you are there, you can't even set up certain accounts and stuff without having to have a registered business. And you can't even do a lot of advertising without having to have a registered business. Now, this depends on industries to industry. So this is what makes China so unique and so different at the same time and so attractive at the same time. So it's a very interesting market. But what makes it so challenging is I think a lot of people say culture, but that's really a small part of it. I think China is very challenging for foreign businesses because of the fact that a lot of manufacturing happens in China. So if you, again, it depends, right? So, you know, Tim and Mike, you guys are in the B2B software business, right? So China is also a very interesting market there because a lot of people look at China as like, okay, well, it's very high tech because the consumers are always on their mobile phones. They shop online. It's mostly exclusive. It's very high tech. It's very fast moving. But at the same time, there's a huge lag in terms of the software, the B2B side of things, corporate and all these other marketing and all the other stuff, because really it's just new to China. There was no such a thing as corporate back 20 years ago. There's no such a thing. It was just small business. So there's that dynamic. Plus that because of the manufacturing, a lot of products are manufactured in China and the intellectual property issue, that's what the whole trade war is about. When let's say a B2C company entered China, they have a problem that almost they don't have in every other market is you know, most markets don't have the capability and say, okay, let's take your intellectual property and start selling similar products at a cheaper price. So now you can't just go in there and try to be the low price or you try to win based on that or try to saturate, which is a lot of company does that. So you really have to have some brand equity and some competitive advantage, which almost always no company really thinks about what kind of competitive advantage they can sustain. So in my honest opinion, it's not so much the branding and all of these stuff. In my honest opinion is, do you have product market fit? Does your product actually have a market in China? And if it does, what is your competitive advantage that's going to sustain you for the next five years or six years? And that's not necessarily marketing, but it's really thinking about what do you have that nobody else can copy? And that's why makes the market so unique and challenging. Stephen, do you think there's a difference between how foreigners look at the China market compared with how Chinese people do? Um, yes and no. So it wasn't recently until I kind of thought about this question myself, right? Uh, so I'm Chinese and I grew up in Canada and my partner Jordan is Chinese who lived most of his life in China until recently. So he's really Chinese. <laughs> so even from that perspective, I often hear Chinese people tell me, well, you don't live in China, you don't understand it, so on and so forth, right? And I'm Chinese. So I think the difference is a lot of time when the problem with, say, a foreigner in China, even if it's an expat that's been there for a long time, it is really hard for them to actually get into the Chinese culture. I don't know if you guys ever watched the movie My Fair Lady. So I, I can, it's, it's an old movie. I know, I know. It's, it's very a, old. It's old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I love that movie. So Audrey Hepburn, Henry Higgins. And, and there, was a, there was a scene where Colonel Pickering kind of said, you are a lady because you're treated like a lady, not because you're taught to be a lady. So in, in some ways, when a foreigner goes to China, they don't really know it 
but they are treated as a foreigner by the Chinese people. So the way they look at things and hear things or see things is going to be different than, say, a Chinese people. Like if I go to Shanghai, I don't versus a foreigner, I don't get treated not exactly the same way, not until they hear me speak English. Right. <laughs> so the, the reason is the way a lot of times Chinese people are thinking is like, well, well, you're a foreigner, you're American, you got the money, so I'm going to treat you differently. Right. I can't use the same culture. So in that sense, that's the issue where if you are really trying to dig into the Chinese audience and try to understand the culture, it's really hard because you're not. And this is the same. I'm never going to be in a British family or an actual American family where I grew up and have that kind of experience because it's just not going to happen. I'm not right. Unless I'm third or fourth generation of, you know, in America, maybe I get that sense. But for the most part, you won't get that kind of experience. You're not going to have your grandma tell you these stories. You're not going to know that your grandma's going to tell you that they watch certain Jingxi or these kind of stuff that you're just not going to experience. And you're not going to really get that opinion from, you know, I, this is a very sensitive topic because it's almost hard to not talk about the Chinese government. So in China, there's very different views on the government. If you grew up in like Shanghai area, you may not be so fond of the Chinese government because they, that tends to be the wealth area, right? And in the revolution, that's been taken away. So it's not a very happy thing. But if you're living in a poorer area and recently you've been gaining wealth because of the real estate, you love the government. <laughs> so it's hard to really sort of explain, but it's it's kind of sort of intuitive to us. So I was having sort of a conversation with uh, my partner's friend yesterday. She was on my podcast and she talked about Chinese people love foreign brands. And that's true. Okay, that that is very true. Chinese people do love foreign brands and they're willing to pay a premium for foreign brands. But almost no foreign brands ever wonder why they like it. And the reason they like it is not because your brand is so cool or they understand the value of your brand or they know your story because they don't. They don't have any clue what your stories are. The reason they like it is because they think foreign brands are better quality, safer, safer for their family, and that there's a, a social status to it, if that makes sense. If I have a foreign brand, it makes me feel I'm wealthier. So for a lot of part of it, that's how China was back about you know 10 to 20 years versus nowadays, because there's an influx of foreign brands, it's not so much, right? Because unfortunately, the Chinese consumer has been scammed and scammed and scammed over again, that now they're kind of starting to question, is this real? Is this even a real story? Are you actually from Canada? Because there's a lot of Chinese company who would take their product, go to Canada or go to US, set up a company and then sell it back to China. <laughs> That's what they would do. So... It's hard because there's a lot of distrust in China. Let's just put it that way. So. Yeah. I've actually read some research recently by Forrester Research, Xiaofeng Wang, and she writes about the changing preferences of consumers in China. She talks about how it's changing where Chinese really did value Western brands, but now the preferences are changing, especially with the younger generations, the 20 something uh, right. Chinese are really starting to like the Chinese brands like leaning. And I, I know that there's a lot of them coming up now, but they're they're becoming quite popular. 
Yeah. So I again, I'm not sure if it's、uh, Chinese are liking Chinese brands, but I think Chinese are more more experiential driven, meaning that they're buying product more based on is this a lifestyle product or is this cool or you know versus before it was like oh it's an American brand it's cool. <laughs> so so coming back to the. The topic here about Chinese and foreigners getting a different impression of the Chinese market, I think that's a really interesting perspective, and it makes me think of how you've got a classroom full of children and a teacher walks in the room, the the kids behave in a completely different way. So what the other kids see and what the teacher sees is completely different. And I've never really thought about that in terms of of China, but you know, I lived there for twelve years, and especially at the very beginning, I I did notice that people treated me differently than they treated other Chinese. Right, but I think there's also a few, and I have had friends who are Westerners, you know, from U.S. from Canada that's been there for five or six years, and then they tell. Me a story that's more true to me, <laughs> where if he will go buy something, then there's a group of Chinese people will reach out from the side to grab it. Then he will turn around, and then there's another group that will reach out. So I'm like, yeah, that that sounds about right to me, right? So that's how a lot of Chinese people look at China versus a lot of Westerner. If you, if especially if they're not that experienced in China, because you know if you get on an airplane, like, oh, China is great, it is absolutely amazing. They treat me so well. I'm like yeah, but that's like me if I go to like Bali or Indonesia because they think I'm a tourist, right? So,、uh, yeah, that's that's really what I mean, I guess. How important do you think it is to have Chinese people on your team? That's a really really good question. So I can't really answer this for every. Possible business, but I think there's almost no way for you to run a business in China without having somebody that's Chinese on your team. If you're actually gonna take China seriously and you're gonna go into China, I mean, at some level, you're gonna have Chinese people that gonna be working for you because they know how to sell better, or they know how to communicate better, or they might have better connection or guanxi. So my partner used to share this with me back in the. Early days, the very early wave of foreign companies, usually American companies, actually, from what he told me, which Chinese call it "waiqi," right?、Uh, foreign companies in China, I believe, in the seventies, like Coke and all these McKinsey, all the big people, they would actually hire a "hong er dai." So what that means is, I don't know if you guys heard of that term, but what that means in Chinese is. Kids that are second generation to the Communist Party that fought the war. The reason is they need that government sort of connection to be in the company, even though they're not really doing much. Smart, but right because that builds government relationship, and this is something that a lot of foreign brands, especially American brands, are not used to, <laughs> because they're like thinking about why would a state be so important, right? And it, it's not if you're small, but it, as you get bigger, it becomes more and more. Difficult without having that state party in China. So, but the good thing about China is you don't have to be that big. I used to think Uber was a failure, and that's what I really thought. And it's like, well, DD one, right? But you know, when I was talking to Jeffrey Thompson, who you know, Peking University, he made a good point. He's like, you know, Uber did well because they exited China at the right time and got, I think, thirty percent of DD's share, which is actually a good play because they cannot really get any larger. 
because I don't think the Chinese government will like it that much anyway, having that huge of a foreign brand in China. So it really made more sense for them to take a share and exit. <laughs> so in, in a way, they did well, because he said that to me. I'm like, hmm, that's, that's actually pretty true, right? So if you're a foreign brand and you're thinking you're in China, you don't really need to be that big because the market is huge. Even if you tap into some, it's got a huge room to grow, right? Even if you're in the half a billion dollar market, it's a huge percentage. So you really can even think about what's your exit strategy if needs to be one. Or you can think about, you know, if, you, if you're like Starbucks and you can really sustain that, great. <laughs> Stephen, do you think it's better to hire a Chinese executive or relocate an expat manager to China? Um, honestly, I think you need to have, depending on what stage you're at, you probably need to have both. So I think there was a class that was taught by Howard Schultz about Starbucks when they struggled the first nine years. And at the end of it, he kind of said, okay, well, he, he sent a whole bunch of executives from the U.S. and they're really talented, smart people, but they could not understand the Chinese consumers. They could not understand the Chinese employees because they don't understand the culture, but they were good at the Starbucks culture. It wasn't until they hired Belinda Wang, who was a Hong Kong American. So it's kind of like me, it was that mixed culture to be able to kind of bring it together. So the reason I think you need both is, well, I guess it depends. If you're large enough, you tend to have a culture, right? So at some sense, you want to have that corporate culture that goes into China because you don't want to detach that completely. Then it's like a different business in a sense. So you do need that executive there. But at the same time, the executive needs to be able to somehow spend enough time to learn or find somebody that bridges the gap so that they can get a Chinese executive that understands the market and then get them to learn about the U.S. culture, get them to the U.S. as much as you can, and then try to merge that together. Now, I know that's a difficult, difficult process. So one of our clients, one of the reasons they work with us is because of that. So Homestead is the largest in-home senior care in the U.S. and globally, right? And they started in Shenzhen. And they were fortunate enough that their executive were kind of like you, Tim, who's been in China since the early 2000s or even 90s. And he has an experience of starting two or three business in China. And he has the experience of working for Starbucks in the early days in China. So he's able to bridge that gap a little bit when they brought an executive, but he's still not able to communicate like me and Jordan can. So what I mean is I can communicate with you guys in very American culture, and I can use examples that you guys can understand. I can talk about strategy in the ways that you guys can understand channels and relay these things. And then I can go back to Jordan and say, okay, this is what they're looking for. Here's the strategy. And Jordan can go to China and communicate in Chinese and get that all coordinated and working together. So that's really, in my opinion, the best thing, especially if you're in the early days and you're kind of struggling in China. As you start to mature, it becomes less and less important. I think there still needs to be somebody that kind of understand it because there's always going to be that communication between corporate here in the U.S. and China, right? And there's a saying in Chinese called 天高皇帝远. What it means is the sky is high, the king is far. So how are you going to be able to understand what they're actually reporting back and you know make sure that the market is actually doing what they're doing? So there's always going to be that if that makes sense. Yeah. First of all, I'd just like to mention for everybody that Jordan is Steven's partner in his business. Right. 
and right. Jordan manages the China side and Stephen manages the North American side. And when you're talking here, I was just thinking about how important it is to select the right people and how that can solve so many problems about the China market. And if you're able to attract the right people, for example, back, I'm, I forget if you said it was in the late 80s or, or 90s or, or whenever, right. then when they hired the Hongar Dai. Right. <laughs> and what a great selection in terms of establishing a relationship and credibility with the government. Right. Uh, of course, the, the question is, are these people working for you because you're paying a lot of money? Or can you win these people's true loyalty? And that's another question. Right. So I think you're 100% right, but I don't think that's an issue to just China. I think that's generally an issue for corporate management. Where yeah, absolutely. Right, so, and, and I didn't right. mean it that way. But, right. but I think that it also underpins the point that you made about how having both expats and Chinese involved as a team in starting up and managing that business, because that's a way to create a blended culture. Right. Right. Because you got to remember that nobody is going to be as enthusiastic about your brand and your product than your immediate executives here in the States or you're in the UK because they understand your product. They understand your brand. But what they don't understand is the Chinese culture, the Chinese employees, so on and so forth. But you still need that executive to be able to really bring that value into the Chinese employees to under make them understand why is it important that your brand is there and what purpose you're really helping the Chinese market in a way. So again, it comes back to is your brand actually bringing value into the market, number one? And second, do you have a competitive advantage? And can you communicate that not only to the consumer, but can you communicate that to the Chinese employees and how do you connect the value of both? Stephen, what do you think are the biggest keys to success for foreign companies in the China market? I think I always recommend that if you're a foreign brand and you're big and you're entering China, you take a startup mindset. You go in there and you iterate and figure out what is the best product market fit, how your brand fits into the market, what value do you bring to the market, and then you do it fast and quick and learn and adopt as quick as you can. And really that's actually in a way, if you think about it, it's common sense. Let's say you're a startup company and you're very successful in the States because you completely understand your market and your customers. And that's the reason they buy from you because they connect and you can solve a problem for them. Well, you just expand it into a market that you don't understand. So the only way to understand it, to do that, in my opinion, is to adopt it as a startup mentality. And really, instead of having that arrogance of saying, well, we're already established. Here's a lot of money. Here's our brand. You guys got to love our stuff. Let's figure it out what the Chinese consumer wants and how we can actually best serve them mm -hmm. with our products and what does our brand actually going to mean to them, in my opinion. Now, of course, there's cases where that does not really need to be. Like if you're, you know, Gucci or LV, where you're already very well known as a brand, then you probably don't. Actually, I think what you said there, Stephen, about the speed 
is what frightens me the most when I think <laughs> about going into the China market. And it's yeah, that yeah. you could execute it incredibly well in North America and you could be a leader and you could be the fastest. And in what you said before, Stephen, about you need to have something that the competition doesn't have. You have to have that competitive advantage. And the Chinese shouldn't be able to easily copy it. Right. And let's say that you have these things and you go into the market. I would add the third to it. You have to move incredibly fast. Yes. Because even if it's something that's not easy to copy, your competitors are still going to try to copy it anyway. Yes. So that's you're 100% right. And I love the fact that you kind of brought that up because when I was talking to Jeffrey, he brought up the second point. So we all agree on the first point, which is to go in there with something unique, right? <laughs> Don't just try to go in there to make a lot of money because they ain't going to work. Uh, but going there with something unique. But Jeffrey said, then you got to start thinking about what's your next competitive advantage because the Chinese company is going to catch up very quickly, right? Sure. So, Okay, so... Are there any differences in how you would advise a startup company going into China in contrast to a more established company? Mm, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only difference is whether you already have a nice presence. There are companies that are successful in nowadays because of WeChat, and it's been raised by the overseas Chinese market. You know, somebody here who loved the product, who's selling it to China, and all of a sudden, the social media, the viralness get, kicks in and your brand is just hot mm -hmm. for like the next year, right? And then you're selling a lot. But from my experience, that doesn't sustain anyway, right? So that may sting, sustain for a year or two. And you may have that luck to get into China without having to have anything. You're getting successful. But what about five years from now? What about 10 years from now, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you really want to be in the market, then... No, I don't think so. <laughs> so I, I, I would advise the same. The only difference is if you already have super hot, then you probably can bypass quite a bit of it in the first place. Right. I think that's a great question, Michael. And actually, I think that's something we could talk about for a whole nother episode. It's a, it's a really, <laughs> I'd like to see a focus on that. Yes. And it's an interesting question. But thank you so much for your excellent insights, Stephen. How can our listeners find out more about Simplify or get in touch with you? Well, first, thanks for having me here, Mike and Tim. I really appreciate that and I love your show. Uh, so it's a great opportunity for me to be here to share my experiences and insights. To get to know more about how Simplify can help you, you can go to simplifyway.com. So S-I-M-P-L-I-F-Y way way.com where you can always send me an email at steve s-t-e-v-e-y so it's not stevie that's actually my last name so stevie at uh, simplifyway.com steven thank you very much for your excellent insights and i uh, really appreciate that you're coming on the show and thank you everyone for listening music for the podcast is performed by the chinese experimental rock band trey wan we would love to hear your feedback, ideas, or any questions you might have. Feel free to reach out to us in any way you feel comfortable. Connect with us on LinkedIn or follow us on Twitter. Also visit our website, ChinaBizConnect.com, where you can view show notes and sign up for our newsletter. Please subscribe to China Biz Connect on iTunes or your favorite place to get podcasts. 
If you enjoy the show, give us a positive rating. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk with you again soon. 